you, you got to give up the thought that you can make somebody get it when you want them to get it. No, people are going to get it when it's their time to get it. And the thing about being young professionals, like, like you guys are, you're going to sow some seeds in some kids. You're going to sow some seeds in some people. And you might not know to 10 to 15 years when they got it. <laughs> I'm at the point in my journey now where now some kids are like, yeah, man, I, I now get that you was, it was not just talking about basketball. We were talking about some of the stuff that's in the book. I would have, you know, sessions with my team called family time. And we would talk about real stuff. And I was able to be vulnerable with them about who I was, but trying to teach them how to relearn, how to rewire, you know, all these things that, that force you into these toxic behaviors and, and things that, that get in, ultimately get in the way of the mission and assignment that you're on. So, you know, I hope I answered your question, but people are going to get it when they, when they get it. That, that's not our job. Our job is just to be, be able to, to share a truth about their greatness, one, we're born to contribute in a certain way, see the greatness in them and communicate that greatness that sometimes sparks it um, or just gets them to the next thing. You may not be the one to get them across the finish line. Just get them the next 100 yards. Like if you get a, somebody to just step up and take 10 more steps, you don't know what position they was in. They might have wanted to throw in the towel and give up. And because you just were present and available to them, now they want to take 10 more steps. And maybe you were only responsible for helping them get to the 10 more steps. So, um, you know, I, I just think sharing your honesty is a way to inspire and help people. But they, people are going to get things when it's time for them to get them. Like, I, I was in a valley. I was, I was in a valley. I was physically ill, sick. I, 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 was, I, I was feeling the worst I had ever felt before in my entire life. And then I got it. I want to create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession, which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Um, man, these things just keep getting better and better. Um, we just keep getting deeper and deeper and showing more vulnerability, digging deep into our guest stories. Man, um, this episode, we have Adele Harris. She's the chief of staff for Vandy Men's Basketball. Um men's basketball, not women's basketball. Um, and that right there, you know, kind of shows you know, what she's willing to go through and what she's willing to, um, how she's willing to set the tone with her life. Um, one thing I really enjoyed about her episode is that, um, and just her in general as a person, is how much she's into um, personal development, which is very relatable for me because um, I, I'm really into personal development and intersecting the two. Um, I had been following Adele for a bit. You know, I knew she wrote a book. Um, you know, I knew she was a, a motivational speaker. i listen to a bunch of her speeches and stuff like that. But I thought I was familiar with her then. Nah, we, we got super, super deep in this. I, I learned I learned a lot of new things. Um, you know, her brand has always been um, turning adversity um, to your advantage and you, using adversity to your advantage. But wow, 
like after you hear this interview, you're going to be like, that. that's not just a social media brand. It's not just a book title. It's literally her life. Um, and we unpack all of that um, in this episode here. One thing that I, I love about her is how transparent she was with her mistakes and how she um, is willing to accept her mistakes and learn from them and say, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what has happened to me. And this is how I'm going to learn from it um, and move forward. Because when you can do that, when you can master yourself, um, you can move forward and you can, you know, you can learn and prepare. You can propel. You can become something that you never thought you could become um, just by accepting yourself. Uh, and, and I would say this, like, you know, I'm big on person development. I'm big on character development and I'm big on learning from your mistakes. And um, this has helped me recently. And it's also, you know, I always say like, you know, when people make mistakes, you know, you sometimes say, um, you know, that's, that's out of my character, it's out of my character. And I always thought that was weird. Um, even with myself, like, even if I make a mistake, I do something that was, you know, out of order, whatever the case may be. I never say that was outside of my character because that's not even that's not even real because your character is who you are. Um, so it's all about learning from that and also um, accepting it so you can move forward and things like that. So, yeah, man, this this episode is packed. Um, yeah, Nick, share, share your thoughts on it. Nah, that's big ish um, because you're absolutely right. Your character is who you are. You know what I mean? And I think we do try to try to run away from certain mistakes. You know what I mean? You try to make it as though, nah, that's, that's, I don't, I'm, I don't normally do that. Nah, yeah, but you have the ability to do that, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it may not be something you always do, but yeah, you got the ability to do it. So, you know, you need to figure out your reason of why you're doing it. If that's not something that, that obviously is benefiting you, then you need to figure out how not to do it. But I mean, again, man, Adele, Adele, Adele is, is such a beautiful woman. You know what I mean? Such a beautiful black woman that, um, and and I say that not to be funny physically. I'm not, it's not a, it's not speaking from a physical standpoint. It's speaking from the heart, from the inside out. As as I got to hear her story, hear her testimony throughout this entire conversation, um, it made me smile. It made me have joy. It made me have you know love, excitement. I mean, it just had a whole plethora of emotions sent the wave down throughout my body because you know, like you said she was very intentional about who she is, where she's at, but most importantly, where she had to come from. You know, I'm going to take it back to the very first episode when we had CY. You know, when you asked CY his definition um, of black excellence, he said philanthropy, right? And when you, and, and when I, and when I, you know, even then, of course I believed him because it was his, de- you know, it was his definition. It was what he believed in, but she shows that. You understand when you think of a philanthropist, you think of someone that adds value to others by either giving their time or their experience or their skills or their talents. And she's done that. She's done that in many ways, whether she's writing a book, whether she's been a head coach, whether she's being a servant by being the chief of staff. You understand what I'm saying? Like whether she's just trying to be a mentor or friend to others, she's doing everything she can to try to give value to other people to learn from her mistakes. And the one biggest thing she had is, it goes back to her self-reflection. This, these are the mistakes that I've made. You understand what I'm saying? These are the things that I have to learn. I have to grow up with. If I don't know where I'm at now, how can I expect to get to where I'm trying to go? You know, that's our biggest thing, Ish. And I and I had to learn that about myself. When a mistake arises in your life, 
you don't, it ain't no stoplight. It's supposed to be a green light. You don't stop and get upset and cry and say, no, 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 no. You figure out how to move past that. You figure out how to evolve and get better. And she showed that. She showed that. She speaks to that. She's a testament to that. And that's why she's reaping all the benefits that have came along in her life, right? From the dark, the dark, cloudy, stormy days to the beautiful, bright sunshine, you know, sunshine days. And, and again, like Eve said at the beginning, our conversations are getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and a lot of it is not about the things we're asking these people. It's about the things they're willing to share because they want you to be the best version of yourself. That's the whole point of this platform is to unlock your greatness and whatever, whatever way that can be. But there's one, you know, all episodes that you listen to or just one, like our goal is to help you unlock your greatness. And every single guest that we brought on, I think have done a phenomenal job of that. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear it, Dale. Um, I'm, I've listened to it multiple times. I'm going to continue to keep listening to it because I learn something new every single time I listen to it. Um, but again, turn it up, turn it up really, really loud, <laughs> sit back and try to gather as much knowledge that you possibly can. Hey, um, before we get to it, I, I, I got to give you um, guys a warning. Um, a lot of people talk surface level about making mistakes and surface level about uh, overcoming adversity and you know, you're going to hear some things in this episode where you're like, I can't believe she said that. I can't believe she still got a job. I can't believe that she still is reaping, like you said, reaping the benefits of life because she was so transparent. And it's like, that's that's what life is. You know, it's, it's about having those moments and be able to retract your steps. And like you said, it's a green light, right? It's a green light. It, it Mistake doesn't mean stop. It just means let me learn from it and let me move forward. Also, before we go into the episode, I also want to highlight um, her working for Jerry Stackhouse and, you know, how she was able to to get the job there. Um, you know, and she was just doing her, you know, she was just sharing content, sharing all of her experiences. And, you know, he reached out to her. So um, when you do what you do, your opportunity is always going to pursue you when you do what you do and, and when you are on the mission that you are supposed to be on. One last thing, um, going back to adversity, you know, that that's her brand. That's her brand. Anyway, it's like, um, I love what she said about leadership because I'm, I'm really big into leadership. And because she was a head coach so young, um, one thing that she mentioned and she'll explain more of this in the, in the interview is that, you know, she realized that she was failing as a leader, not just as a coach, but as a leader. Right. And a lot of times we don't get to hear those stories because people stay in the in that position doing the same things that she probably that she alludes to as failing as a leader. And you don't get to learn. You don't get to um, learn from your mistake. They, they stay in it. They stay in. They go go through it, go through it. And next thing you know, you know, you got a 20 year career and you haven't given your all as a leader. So. Um, because she was a head coach so young, she's able to learn from her mistakes and also able to, you know, give that information back to people like um, Nick and I and also our audience. So you guys get to learn from her mistakes. We all get to learn from her mistakes. Um, go out and get her book. And, you know, you you after this, you would just feel empowered to um, overcome yourself and 
and live the life that you were supposed to live. So there you go. Here she come, Adele Harris. Here's our interview. We are here with Adele Harris, Chief of Staff for Vanderbilt Men's Basketball and so much more. Welcome to the show. And thanks for having me. Thank you, Aisha. Thank you, Nick, uh, for, for letting me be a part of uh, Black Excellence Podcast. As she said, this is the Black Excellence in Sports Podcast, where we highlight those who we believe have demonstrated Black excellence. We want to highlight their story, their voice, and use their testimony to, to unlock the greatness of others. Adele, how would you define Black excellence? So what comes to mind when you, when you hear that phrase? It's a loaded question. Um, in these times, you know, where we are right now, I just I immediately think about, you know, our ancestors. I immediately think about, you know, like John Lewis, um, you know, just people who went out in front and, and paved the way and, and had, some, had some real, real challenges. You know, whatever we think are challenges is, just doesn't even compare. And so um, I wouldn't have said this probably five months ago. You know, my, my, my answer to that question would have been a whole lot different. But right now, I just can't help but think about how incredible of a people we are um, and how that's just on 100% display right now in this moment in American history. Adele, can you speak about the people in your life that has demonstrated Black excellence? Yeah, um, <clears throat> again, that would have answered it totally different, you know, but all of this forces me to reevaluate like it probably does you. Um, you start looking at your grandparents different, you start looking at your parents different, uh, those teachers you had, you know, those black teachers you had, and you know, I'm 40 years old, so you know, I grew up, I was born in 80, grew up, you know, elementary school through the late 80s and, and the 90s, and you know, they were just coming out of Jim Crow, and they were just coming out of, you know, those, those adults in my life at that time, um, you know, so I think of it different. And the first person I think of and uh, it is my mother who, who I gave a real hard time to throughout my young adult life. And she's no longer here, but I just think about what it's like to be a black woman in the 80s, um, single parent, you know, always work two and three jobs. You know, I start thinking about I started thinking about her, her journey and her story and like, gosh, she, she worked at Walmart. She worked at the health department. She worked at Burger King. She worked, I mean, you know, she was just a hustler, just a, you know, an alpha woman, a black woman, you know, like that just, just means a little bit more right now. I just feel it a little different. And so uh, where I wasn't giving her respect, she was due when she was here. Uh, when I had the opportunity to, I just see, I just see her differently. I just see her as a, a, an individual separate from being my mother. And um, you know, I was adopted, so she chose me. So that's a unique situation. But you know, she just was, just was different. She was just a tough, hard-nosed lady. And I got some of that in me. You know, it, you, it takes, in order to be called a strong woman, I think you gotta see some strong women. And, and I'm not going to, uh, no longer am I gonna live my life not giving her that credit. So, so, so that's who, that's who I would say the first example was for me. Adele, you wrote a book, um, and it was about turning adversity to your advantage. Um, and, you know, anybody listening to this, I highly encourage you to check that book out. But I feel like, you know, 
with kind of what you just said and, and black excellence as well, I feel like that that's what it is, you know, turning adversity, all the adversity that we face and using it, you know, to our advantage or, or making it, you know, part of our, our story. Um, I want to highlight one thing that well, you, you said seven steps, but two of these steps, I, I feel like is really important. I don't want to get the whole book away, but the second step was accepting your pain. Um, and I, 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 that, that hit me hard. Cause I'm like, wow, like, us, we sometimes, we want to be, you know, put on a face. We want to, you know, especially in our profession, in the coaching profession, we want to act like everything's good or that we're good. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about, about accepting your pain and then the third one, rewriting your story? I thought that was huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote a book, um, came out last year, Refused to Lose, Seven Steps to Make Adversity Your Advantage. And uh, step two was was part of the the beginning of, of this book becoming a thing in my head, in my heart. Um, to sum it up, really, it's, it's when you go from asking the question, uh, why me, to why not me? And I think that the, the change in, in just adding, <laughs> you know, why not me, uh, I think that summons up some of our supernatural powers. I think you start waking up things inside of you that have lied dormant in other people who haven't been tested, who haven't been challenged, uh, but also you start to accept yourself for all of who you are. And I don't think any success, um, I mean, human beings are, 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 are created to continue to evolve. And um, if we deny our journeys, whatever aspect of it, you know, everybody's got a different story. But if we continue to deny those things, whether it's, you know, for me, I, I was adopted and, and I don't talk, I don't talk about not what it's like not having your biology. I've never talked about what it feels like when your, your birth parents um, decided they don't, don't want you. You know, that, that's a, that's just something that lives inside of me that, um, quite frankly, nobody else can understand unless you've, you've been in that situation. And then, and then other things that I had to go through, like I just mentioned, my relationship with my mother, uh, my adopted mother was just, you know, I, I was just so hard on her. I was just so hard on her. And, um, and, and to get to your, your question about num step number two, um, I didn't have this awakening until I was, I mean, she died six years ago. So I was 34 years old. I probably just turned 35. Um, I had to clean out my mother's house on the day of her funeral. Funeral's at 11, get to the cemetery, you do all that stuff. And about three or four o'clock is my job to come into the home that I was raised in, <laughs> that I vowed I would never walk foot in again. Um, you know, I, was, I left out of high school and I was like, I'm, I'd rather be homeless. I'm not coming back here. And uh, so my job was to go back into this space and clean it out clean it out. Now that's an emotional experience. I don't care who you are, whether you love the house, didn't love the house, loved your mom, did, whatever your story is, that's just some unique things. And I was in there by myself and I was, I was tired. Um, it was June. It was hot. I, I was fatigued mentally, spiritually. I had never felt so defeated, kind of. Um, I had been trying to be whoever you got to be when you go through, you know, losing somebody and funerals and, and all that stuff and then it got quiet and I'm in that house by myself and I'm and I'm, I'm like I kind of want to cry but I don't so I'm in the middle of like feeling whatever I'm trying to feel and I'm like I'm having a pity party like why me like, why me why I gotta be here by myself you know 
this person didn't do that for me and my, 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 this person should be here and just, you know, you know, <laughs> and, um, and then for some reason, some things that I have been reading in books and learning and telling my team and, <laughs> and, and all of this stuff for decades was when you start asking life better questions, life will give you better answers. And that's from Tony Robbins. And I had read that and heard that so many times. And in that moment, and I'm so glad it did, it just resonated in my spirit. And I just changed the question immediately. Why not me? I am in this situation for a design purpose specifically for me. And if I don't accept it as that, then I can't use it to evolve as a woman, to add value to other people's lives. Um, so that acceptance piece was like full ownership of every aspect that I am, all of it. And that, that house I didn't want to go back in, that's my house. I, that's my house. That mama that I had my issues with, that's my mama. You know, that's the one God gave me. Whatever these things are, black woman, um, black gay woman, uh, adopted, sexual abuse of home, friends dying, grandma dying, like whatever, and even the good stuff, okay? Full scholarship athlete at Wake Forest and got my Wake Forest degree and all the shiny stuff that people want to pat you on the back about. I'm all of those things. And, and in that moment, I'm like, I'm no longer, I'm no longer going to be the person who doesn't embrace fully all those pieces of my journey because it woke up something in me that makes me totally different than others. And that's my superpower. Um, and so that, that was, that was my, my step two lesson. Um, you start asking life better questions, it'll give you better answers. And the obstacle is the way, period. Um, and then step three was, you know, again, things I had been learning in my personal development books. I start reading as soon as I graduated uh, college. I uh, just wanted to be successful. So I'm like, okay, how, how do I be successful? <laughs> I, at that point, I didn't have a lot of adult mentors that had graduated college, you know, that had, that could add that kind of value to my life and where I was. And so here I am, I'm a, I'm a Wake Forest graduate, my, you know, my Pell Grant don't come no more. And it's like, uh, what you about to do? And for the first year, you know, I was, I was homeless. I was sleeping on my AU coach's couch. I was, you know, just traveling around, sleeping, sleeping at other people's place. I didn't have a, I didn't have something I was doing. And so, um, and I just started reading books and I, I just loved it. I love learning about uh, how to become the best version of yourself. And uh, within these books, I start, I start learning about how to reprogram and relearn and, and unlearn and, and, you know, not being a, a victim of your circumstance. And, and I just start hearing these, these vocabulary words for the first time. And um, again, one of the reasons why my book uh, shares some of those very same messages, because I think, it's, I think it's important for people to know you can reprogram yourself. Like it does not matter what you've been through, you know, um, traffic throughout the United States or <laughs> from, from, Africa or whatever your circumstances situation is, um, you can you can reprogram yourself and become whatever it is you want. That's the power of the human spirit. That's what makes us uh, have have infinite potential and abilities to change our narrative. Like whatever we hold in our imagination, we can manifest that thing. And so I wanted to be able to provide uh, a strategy, a system in rewriting your story. Um, that, that just empower people to be able to, to do that and, and share some practical strategies. It's one thing to say, hey, change, you know, you've been through this, but it's another thing to say, no, 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 no. 
you know, consistent repetition of the right ideas and the right things and the things you want to become, um, those things add up and they become a new life. And, and so, and I'm, I continue to, you know, rewrite my story every day now. I have, who I am now is not who I want to be. I want, I want to continue to, to evolve and, and stretch and, and, and get every single thing God has intended for me out of this life. And so um, I just think people get caught up with their not accepting what they've been through, blaming and complaining and defending their behavior and, you know, blaming everybody else. And that ownership is empowering. Like I, I've, I've, I'm empowered because I just know who I am and I don't care if you get it or not. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's two of my favorite chapters too. Adele, I love how you talked about reprogramming. I think in life we all struggle with, with being content, whether, whether, we're at, whether it's where we are right now or whether we, where we were in the past. But I want to challenge you real quick and get your thoughts on this. What happens when that individual that you're talking to is trying to reject or ignore that moment where they can possibly change? For example, like you said, when you was obviously in your mother's home, right? And then two, um, I mean, we all know like overcoming a traumatizing past or, or toxic foundation, man, it's, it's extremely hard, right? And not a lot of things, not a lot of people have things in them that when something happens, it, it clicks, you know, and it, and it registers like, yeah, this is my moment. This is my time. So obviously you are very practical, but what would you say to that individual to how they can start to rewrite their own story? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, right. We all have our paths. We all have our, our timing. I'm going to tell you this. Um, it took me being 35 years old in that house after my mother's funeral for me to be at a low point. And, and this is the other thing that the God, the universe, I don't care what you want to say. Um, life have, has a way of, of putting you right where you need to be to, to wake up. And so it wasn't just that that was happening. I was also, you know, the head women's basketball coach at UNC Wilmington um, in a role and position that, you know, I had, um, I had given uh, too, much, too much credit for my overall success. This whole basketball thing had been, had just, had been too big in my life. It'd been, it had meant too much to me. And so that wasn't going well, right? So on top of that, I was in a situation where I was failing as the leader of that program. And, and not just like failing with wins and losses, but I was having some challenges with my players and I was having challenges with, you know, administration. I was having cha like challenges were coming from a little bit of everywhere, some fair, some, some not fair, you know, and so that was uncomfortable. And then I'm in this situation with my mother and that's like, and my mother was dying for two and a half years. So I'll back up. She was sick in November, 2012 passed away in June of 2015. So for, you know, two and a half years of her last two and a half years of her life, I committed to being the person on call. I was going to be the best daughter I could possibly be. I'm like, God, because I, I just knew that was the first wake up call. I just knew if she left and I was feeling the way I was feeling about her and my life and all these things, I was going to be stuck with something that I just didn't want to. I didn't want parts of that. Um, I knew it was going to suffocate my growth in some areas of my life. So that, that was one thing. So I had a lot of things happening. 
And sometimes some of these things are just taps on the door, you know, just a nice tap. You know, I'm here, you know, your little, some, and I'm just going to throw out some examples. Um, things that may be happening, you know, maybe for a young person, you're drinking too much. That's a little tap on the shoulder. You're drinking so much that pe you're turning people off. Who are your friends? That's a little tap. Now you drink it so much that, that, you know, you're getting pulled over. That's another little tap. Like you get these whispers, right, that, that are challenging you to wake up and, and like listen and, and respond to some things that you may have been ignoring. I don't know where everybody's low point is or end of the road is. I don't know. My hope is that I can be an example that um, when, it's, when it's time, it's going to be time for you, but it's okay whenever it is. It really is. It's okay that I didn't get it when I was 25 or when I was 30 or when I, it's okay. I needed to see examples of people who struggle too. I, I sought out that. That's a chapter in my book, um, Modeling the Behaviors of Others. I always wanted to pull back the layers of people I liked. I want to see your flaws because I knew I was flawed. I'm like, okay, oh, so you, you don't have a daddy either? Okay, I don't either. You mad too? Okay, I'm mad too, but you still find a way. So I, I think an important thing to keep going and not have your, your ship totally sink when you're going through stuff is to have a dream that motivates and inspires you. That's yours. Something, something in your spirit and your heart that you want to go after. You're on assignment. And when you're on assignment, things will come in your path. They could be healthy distractions. They be, could be bad distractions. You got to decipher between the two. I was on my little path of, of my dream and my mom got sick. I got to listen to what, what's happening here. And I got I to gotta be present and I got to take care of that because that's, that's an attachment to who I am. Um, so, so I don't know when, I don't think, you, you got to give up the thought that you can make somebody get it when you want them to get it. No, people are gonna get it when it's their time to get it. And the thing about being young professionals like, like you guys are, you're gonna sow some seeds in some kids, you're gonna sow some seeds in some people, and you might not know to 10 to 15 years when they got it. <laughs> I'm at the point in my journey now where now some kids are like, yeah, man, I, I now get that you was, it was not just talking about basketball. We were talking about some of the stuff that's in the book. I would have, you know, sessions with my team called Family Time, and we would talk about real stuff. And I was able to be vulnerable with them about who I was, but trying to teach them how to relearn, how to rewire, you know, all these things that, that force you into these toxic behaviors and, and things that, that get in, ultimately get in the way of the mission and assignment that you're on. So, you know, I hope I answered your question, but people are going to get it when they – when they get it that that's not our job our job is just to be be able to to share a truth about their greatness one we're born to contribute in a certain way see the greatness in them and communicate that greatness that sometimes sparks it um or just gets them to the next thing you may not be the one to get them across the finish line just get them the next 100 yards like if you get a somebody to just step up and take 10 more steps you don't know what position they was in. They might have wanted to throw in the towel and give up. And because you just were present and available to them, now they want to take 10 more steps. And maybe you were only responsible for helping them get to the 10 more steps. So, um, you know, I, I just think sharing your honesty is a way to inspire and help people. But they, people are going to get things when it's time for them to get them. Like, I, I was in a valley. I was, I was in a valley. I was physically ill, sick. I, I, I was... I, I was feeling the worst I had ever felt before in my entire life. And then I got it. <laughs>
Wow, that's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned. You talked about basketball being too much or basketball would play a way bigger role in your life than, than it should have. And one thing I really um, respect about you, um, I, I talked to you one time in person and I asked you, you know, what made you step away from basketball and do your own thing? Um, and then you talked about uh, basically, you know, similar, similar things. And um, I feel like sometimes like our job as coaches to help the players, you know, be more than just basketball. And I, I, one thing I've noticed is the coaches struggle with that more than the players do. Um, so can you talk about that transition and, um, and kind of, you know, kind of what went through your head and what made you make the transition and feel like, okay, I can, I can give more, um, you know, I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna do all these other things. Kind of talk about that transition a little bit. Yeah, I think, um, I think this is consistent with anybody who, is rewarded early in their lives for doing something well. So, so oftentimes I don't like when people make it about, you know, basketball players and, and, and just that, like everybody got this issue. If your mama put you in front of piano when you were seven and said, this is what you're going to do and you're going to get a scholarship to do it. And you're going to do this at some point, you're going to think that's all you are. Your identity is going to get caught up in it. So I want to, I want to make sure that's clear. Everybody has that. And, um, and that's okay. I think we should have things that we do well, that we get applauded for, that put us in a better situation, um, all of that. But I also think we have to have the confidence to know that we are more than that. And that sometimes is the issue for me. And I'll talk about Black kids, right? I'll talk about Black people. Um, I, I grew up in an environment where it was way better to be good in basketball than anything else, okay? Like, that's the coolest thing you could be was, you know, dropping 30 on the Crosstown Rivals on a Friday night, the end, you know, with your Jordans on, the end, okay? And so, and so when, you, when you are celebrated like that, and as a society and a culture, and I'm talking American culture, we celebrate athletes differently than other places right so we we have this crazy obsession for our athletes and we call them fans they're fanatics about it and so we get celebrated and we get applauded and um i think that's great for our confidence overall at some point we have to understand within all of that noise who we really are like what we're bringing to the table and it took me a long time to figure this out um, and when I say a long time, I mean, you know, <laughs> three years ago when I walked away from coaching basketball. Um, and again, all of this for me was associated with, it was a collision. My mom dying was a collision. The, my not, not being a successful head coach was a collision at the current time. It was all colliding. And I felt like, what am I supposed to be learning? Like, what am I supposed to be learning from this? Because there are some lessons. And I was, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that. Like, it was just being, it was, I believe life should kind of flow like water. Not that there's not going to be things that, that come, but it's, you should feel like, oh, man, this feels good. You know, showing up to the gym, we got practice, getting ready for the game. We, you know, all of that should feel, it was not feeling like that. 
It was not feeling, it was feeling resistant. Like I was forcing it. Like I was just, I was forcing it. And I don't, I didn't like that feeling. So I could identify in my spirit that that wasn't how success was for me. It had never been that way. Um, and so part of the reason why I left um, or, or why I was able to leave is because of the confidence that I have in myself. I just felt like I have a unique gift. And my unique gift is that I have the ability to speak words of inspiration that help people change their lives, help people see what's better in them. I have always had that. Some of, some of my mother passing away, you know, like if you have someone close to you pass away, you oftentimes do a lot of nostalgia and you go back. And so in this process, it was the first time I had been going back to like my, my childhood and, and all these, you know, people from my, that helped kind of be the village to raise me. I was just seeing them more often. I was talking to them a little more often. I was getting snippets of like what people thought made me good. And I just think it just was clicking. Like, this is a challenge right now. It's not smooth. I don't ever want to show up and not be um, genuinely, authentically excited about the role I have to do whatever job I'm paid to do. Like the day I'd show up just to get money. And, and so I resigned um, for that reason. It, it was just, it was too, I needed to just jump off the roller coaster and find out what was going on after all the stuff that I had been through. And then, and then two, I had identified like I, my real gift in all this head coaching. And even when I was a player in high school was my ability to get people to see something greater. I do that. Now I started a company to do that. And when I get up and I speak, uh, I started a company refused to lose um, in June of 2017 wanted to be a full-time public speaker. I, I think I, I got that. I felt like that was my greatest skill as a head coach, as an assistant coach, as a basketball player, as a 10-year-old at my church. Whatever you want, wherever you put me in my life, my greatest skill was that I can speak words of inspiration that challenge people to enlarge their vision of what is possible. And I wanted to go do that around topics non-basketball related. Because now I wanted to be able to say who I was. You know, you go through stuff in, in, in step seven in the book is share it with the world. So, and sharing it is part of healing. So that was part of my therapy, but um, I wanted to go to, into speak. I knew I wanted to write a book. I've known I wanted to write a book since I was 22. I actually journal all the time. And I, when I was 23, I wrote, I was going to start a company called Refuse to Lose. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I thought it was just going to be, um, something that I could give back to young girls in my hometown of High Point, North Carolina, but I have all these things in writing. So, and if it's in your imagination, it, for me, it's for me to do. And so because I had documented some of these thoughts and ideas that I had, it probably was easier for me to walk away because I, I knew that there were other things that I had talked about 10 years ago, I talked about writing a book. Like I have, I keep all my, my journals are behind me right now. I never like barely leave home without them because they mean so much to me because my words matter. Like the idea, I write down every good idea I have because they were given to me. Nobody else got these ideas. That's why I'm proud of what, what you're doing, um, Aisha and Nick. Like you guys have an idea, you're carrying it out. This thing didn't exist before you pursued your good ideas. 
and, and a lot of people don't pursue their good ideas. And sometimes you jump out there, you pursue a good idea, you mess around and meet somebody and meet somebody and God opens up a door and you're like, whoa, <laughs> okay. That's why I had that idea. So, um, so yeah, that, that, was, that was part of it. But at, sports gives you the confidence. Um, I think more people have to jump off and, and do different stuff. We just need more examples. You know, we just need to be exposed to people, you know, who, who coach for 10 years and then they go run their business and they're successful or they, you know, whatever else they decide to do. It's funny to hear you say that because I read, a, I read something that you had said and it's, it's a true definition of what you just basically said. You say love your people more than you love your position. Yeah, that's my leadership. Yeah, philosophy. yeah, and I think that's powerful because again, it goes to show you, like you said, it don't matter where you're at or what platform you're on. Um, you're about the people, Adele. And I think, you know, again, everybody knows that. Everybody knows you should be about the people, but so many people get caught up in trying to do things for themselves. And I and, and that's why no matter where you're at, you'll be successful. But something I'm interested in hearing from you um is obviously when you stepped away you know, you chose to go down a different, a different career path. Obviously you started your own business. You know, you obviously started writing a book, but then you transitioned back into the profession, now, obviously in a different role, but you kind of came right back into the profession. Talk about your mindset now. Okay. In your current role at Vanderbilt and then kind of, how do you use this platform now after starting your business, you know, with refuse to lose? So just like I was telling you guys, with Refuse to Lose, I wanted to pursue some good ideas, some ideas I had. Obviously, I had to, you know, uh, I wanted to write the book, um, but I also wanted to leverage, you know, because now I'm, you know, by myself, you know, owning my own company. I'm using my whole savings. Um, I went into my retirement to live and survive um, and, and start my stuff. I didn't ask for no money from nobody. It was just me and my retirement. And um, with my little dream and vision, my ideas. And so I wanted to write the book. I knew that was going to happen. I knew what I wanted to speak to when I got in front of groups that were non-athletes and things like that. But I also wanted to leverage the knowledge I had from my 19 years of being around the sport. So I wrote two eBooks. My first eBook was about three months after I you know, started my company. It was an ebook for high school uh, kids, right? Giving them 23 strategies to get, live their dream, basically. Um, wanted to give that information out, put everything I had into that. I thought I put together an incredible piece of material and content for any high school kid that, that wanted to pick the brain of a head coach. You know, what are they looking for? I gave them all the, the cheat code. And then uh, around Christmas, I wrote an ebook for young professionals. Um, again, just trying to leverage all the knowledge I have, just give it back to the game. I don't need it no more. I, I didn't foresee myself going back into coaching. I still don't. Um, so I wrote another ebook called Dear Assistant Coach, uh, which I started off some tweets, just some tweets, um, hashtag Dear Assistant Coach, just putting my thoughts and ideas out. And I kind of, came to me um, on a treadmill. I had some ideas. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put this out. It's getting good response. I'm going to put out 10 tweets a day. I put out 10 tweets a day for about 12 days. People are like, man, that's great. You know, that's good stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to turn this into an ebook too. 
well, turn it into an ebook. You know, I'm thinking I sell it for $9.99 and at least I have something that can be some residual little income along with the high school book and adds to my portfolio and all this other stuff, you know. And uh, Jerry Stackhouse was the second person to purchase this book. I knew he had started following me based on the tweets. And um, he was the second person to buy this book. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. Okay, at least I know the book good, you know. <laughs> so, I, so I DM'd everybody who bought it and, and said, um, thank you for purchasing the book. Um, I would love to hear your feedback. You know, what are your thoughts? I DM him, he's like, man, this is great. I'm, I'm right now reading page 22. Um, this is this is incredible. I think every this would be a requirement for every coach in the country. I don't care where you coach it. I'm like, hey, that's what's up, Jerry. So I'm like, yes, can I use this for a quote? To, you know, market the book more. Sure, you can, you know, whatever. Now he's still with the Memphis Grizzlies at the time. Um, because this is like February. Two months later, he gets the job. I'm down at the women's final four in Tampa. He gets the job at Vanderbilt, like April 3rd. April 6th. He DMs me and says, I've been thinking about you. Now, I don't know Jerry. I've never met him. I mean, I know him as much as probably you do, right? I mean, I've seen him. You know, I know who he is, but I don't know him. And he doesn't know me beyond Twitter. DMs me and says, um, I've been thinking about you. I'm like, okay, what's going on, coach? And, and I'm not going to give you the details about what our dialogue was, but we set up a call for us to talk. I was going to drive from Tampa back home to Wilmington, North Carolina, where I was living. Um, and he was going to give me a call like on that drive back. And he said, I just, I need a head coach in my office. Um, I need someone who knows all the ins and outs of this thing. You know, obviously he's coming to a college campus for the first time. Um, I think he wanted somebody who could speak the language, who could manage his staff who could, um, you know, be someone who knows what they need to know while he was learning it. Or maybe so he doesn't even have to learn it. You just do it. And so my role now, um, and I'll say this, that was on like a Monday. And by Thursday, I was in Nashville. And by the next Tuesday and Wednesday, I was working for Vanderbilt. Um, but he was just like, I don't care what, you can create your own title. You can get your, create your own job description. I just want somebody in my office who can do what you have in that book and, and teach other people how to do what you got in that book. And, and I also had, had a, um, a mailing list. And I think he had joined the mailing list as well. So I was sending out daily emails to coaches about behavior and incidents and situations I had. So again, I was pursuing my good ideas. That's why I'm telling y'all, pursue your good ideas. Um, not thinking that God was gonna open this door. And, um, and so I, you know, he, he said what he was looking for. Um, you know, I, I told him, give me, give me a little time to think about it. Cause I just didn't see this happening. Like this wasn't something I had, I didn't see happening, but, um, but there's a reason why these things do happen. There's a reason why God gave me the idea to start tweeting dear assistant coach and to turn it into a book and to, 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 to pursue it in the way I did. I, I thought it was to create, a group of consumers around these topics, but it, it was to introduce myself to something else. And, um, and so, yeah, now I'm the chief of staff for Vanderbilt men's basketball. Um, I love it. Um, I, I'm still, the second part of that question, I'm still trying to figure out 
how to uh, implement refuse to lose and, and, and balance both of them. Um, trying to, this pandemic also has presented a, a shift and a change. And so um, I don't, I'm not gonna force anything. I'm just going to continue to write down my ideas and uh, pr pursue the ones that, that really make sense for me to, um, to do both, which I cannot, you know, I can chew gum and walk. Coach, um, thanks so much for sharing that. That was, that was awesome. Um, you know, you know, my mindset is, you know, any smart man, you know, knows um, the importance of having a woman on their staff. So being mentored by a woman or helping, allowing a woman to help them out with their goals. So shout out to Coach Stackhouse uh, for being a smart Nick, man. Shout out to Nick being a smart man. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Nick for being a smart man as well. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk about um, how you present yourself, you know, after you have the job and everything, obviously you are confident in your material and knowing that you know this job in and out. But when you go in there and you have to mentor, you know, maybe his staff or, you know, maybe give him a piece of advice and things like that, everything you do in your role that, that you have to consult or, or give advice with, how do you, um, you know, kind of prepare yourself to be confident in, in what you have to say, because there are a lot of women out there that are smart, confident, they are smart, have a lot of good ideas, but, you know, may be intimidated by the environment or may, you know, whatever gets in people's head. How do you stay focused and, you know, I know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to give it to them the way, the way I'm supposed to do. How do you kind of get ready for that? Or is that already in you or? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, I was nervous about the whole thing, right? I, I was I was nervous about because I, I didn't I don't one I just back up I don't know Jerry Stackhouse. Um, he hired uh, a staff of folks. One I hadn't been on the men's side, so I didn't know a lot of men's assistant coaches. Um, I have a few relationships with men's coaches, but I, I don't, you know. So even if he hired other college guys, I still wouldn't really know them. Um, so it was all it was all so new and and so I was um there was some fear that set in just about the un just not knowing the lack of awareness of my new my new life and uh but that was quickly I'm gonna tell you what happens because I never again I've never been in this situation before I haven't I've so I've been a head coach and I've had white ADs I'm just thinking about my career my first boss was a white lady um, the AD at that school was a white lady. I've never had any black leaders. So that's one thing. Um, definitely not black leaders who have the credibility and, and overall leverage and voice of the head men's basketball coach at a power five school. That's another thing. But also when that head men's basketball coach name is Jerry Stackhouse. And so I've never been in that in those spaces before. But this is what happened for me. Um, he makes it very, very clear who is running things in this office, which sets the tone for everybody. It allows me to be myself, to, to walk into it, because he's a very, very smart guy. He's paying attention to everything. So he's been paying attention to me since back in February or even January before we even meet, you know, I think I was hired in the end of April of last year. Um, so he's been watching me and he's, he's trust, he already has a certain level of trust in what I'm bringing to the table. And um, 
I think when he sets the tone and steps out there and says, this is who runs this office and, you know, whatever, you know, there's an issue, run it by her and she'll get it to me. And it's easier to be yourself when you, when you have that. And I, I don't, I've never been around anybody else who's empowered me like that. It's the first time in my life I've ever been in a situation where I've been, I've been empowered um, professionally like that. First time ever. So, um, so it's different. It, it is, it's different. It's different to be empowered and, and have to go ahead and, you know, the applause from your boss and your boss is, is Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah. I want to follow up um, with something there because there is probably going to be a lot of men listening to our podcast, men and women. But, you know, sometimes I, I get in the rooms with men and they're wondering, how can we help women? And the what you just said is, the, is literally the thing that, um, you know, I, I think about. The only thing we need is friendship. Empower us. That's all. That's all we need. Um, so I, I do want to highlight that as, that as well. Um, you know, we, we don't need handouts. We don't need, you know, to be given jobs. We just, we just want to know that you have our backs. Um, and just men and women together in general, you know, that, that's, what you, that's what we need. So that's a powerful statement um, there as well. Thank you for sharing that as well. Um, I want to go back to what you talked about with personal development. Um, I'm, I'm huge on personal development. That's literally the reason why I am what I am right now. Um, you know, and you've been, you was a head coach at 30. Um, you know, you have your own business, public speaker. I believe that coaches overlook personal development for whatever reason. That, that's kind of like my observations since I've kind of been in the profession. What would you say to, to coaches or anybody professionally that, you know, may not lean on personal development or they don't think is as important. What has it done for you? And how could you encourage coaches specifically to um, engage more in personal development? <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even fathom why anybody would want to continue to grow and evolve for them. You know, forget the job you do, who you do it for, it's for them. Like, you know, personal development helped me be a better daughter. Personal development helped me, helps me be a better sister. Personal development, you know, helps me, me love my girlfriend better. Personal development helps me love people better. Like, it's not just about early on, I, I wanted to be successful. I got into it because I like, okay, I got to pay my car insurance. I got to be able to get my phone. And I had to have some basic level of income and I felt like if I could be successful, then this would be the way I could match it with my income for survival. And, and then I got into learning a whole lot about actually who I am and feeling empowered as a person and not limited by my circumstances and, and, and challenges that I was having. And so um, I just don't even, I know that it's, it's overlooked to a certain degree, Aisha, because the job we have in coaching is so all-consuming. It is so consuming to, you know, have your 15 players on a roster and then think about recruiting the next three to replace your next seniors and then think about the, the other three that are going to replace your juniors when they leave and, oh, somebody transferred, so let me get on the phone and focus on that. It's so every day you got to put a fire out. You got to put two or three fires out. You got to, you're worrying about, 
so many things and, and it's, a, it's an unreal, let me back up. It's an unrealistic profession, all of it, right? All of the, all of the pressures we put on ourselves to be um, urgent at everything all the time. Like, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous, right? The, the, the unrealistic view on winning and what it means and, you know, you can talk about all sorts of things with recruiting and all that stuff. I mean, if you get caught up in all the things that are supposed to be so important about your job as a college basketball coach, I can see why it may be challenging to find time for you. It may be, I can see why, but I think you've got to make time because when your head coach gets fired, now you've got to use some skills <laughs> now you got to have some skills, some ability to open your mouth and speak some things that cause people to think of you differently, to be able to sell what you do well, to be able to um, go after your own job. You know, one of the things personal development helped me, I, I didn't have any coaching mentors that opened the door and, and let Adele in. I, I, I got to a point at my, as an assistant coach, um, I was at UNC Asheville. All y'all big South people. <laughs> I was at UNC Asheville for, for six years. And in year four, I felt like I was hitting the ceiling. Um, in year six, I was just, I had my feet up. I was too comfortable. I had, I was drinking a lot, celebrating, because we had won the Big South Championship. First time in school history, went from worse in the world to like, you know, in the tournament. We were like, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a really big win. My first big win professionally and um i didn't have any goals before that of leaving but i had an idea that i wrote down that you are ready to be a head coach start acting like it and that meant just change your change your attire you know wear wear different stuff walk differently when you go talk to admissions have a different approach get your attitude on head coach level you talk to the business office you know i was I was just, I had enough experience at that point where I felt like, you know what, you can be better in these interactions with other people. So, so do that. And then um, we won the championship that year and, and we celebrated for two years. <laughs> like we had won the NBA championship, <laughs> but I had some really good friends at UNC Asheville and we, we were young and we had worked hard and we were having some success and we were enjoying it. But um, I made the decision that it was time for me to leave. I made that decision because my behaviors, I wasn't growing and evolving as a woman. And, and one of the stories I write about this in my book, um, February 2009, 2009, I uh, got arrested for driving drunk, went down a one-way street in downtown Asheville with a blood alcohol level three times the legal limit. And now, you get arrested going driving down a one-way street with a blood alcohol level three times legal in it. That ain't your first time driving drunk. And I was getting these whispers. I was getting these, come, come on, slow down, relax. You know, I was, you know, this is, this is two years of drinking too much and eating terrible and just, and that day I was arrested. And that's an embarrassing thing probably one of the most embarrassing things I've been through. Um, it was embarrassing. All the, and everything that comes with it is embarrassing. And I'm like, this is it. I'm better than this. Uh-uh. See, that's my, that, was my, that was my rock bottom moment 
where you're talking about how do people, some people get, some people just got to be in the valley. Some people got to be down in the valley where all, now you start to really use your resources to figure out now how I'm going to get out of this. And I'm one of those stubborn people. And I was in that valley and that was February, 2009. By February, by May, 2012, I had won four championships and increased my salary by three times because I made a decision. And, and ain't nobody do me no favors. Like I, I ain't have Pat Summit call nobody for me. I made a decision that February when I was going through that stuff, this ain't you. This, this ain't you. Now I had been doing my personal development, reading books and obsessed with successful people. And I've been doing that uh, consistently. I just love it. I mean, that's just something I enjoy doing. I'd rather be doing that. I'm reading a book now that I can't, I can't get my head out of, but, um, but I just love doing it. But then again, it just kicks in when it becomes time for you to match it up with your real life. And it was time for me to match it up with my real life. I was struggling. My grandmother had passed away. Um, and I, I was a little depressed about that. I wasn't, I wasn't accepting it. <laughs> um, I was still angry at my mom. I had this stuff going on and, and basketball was everything. And, you know, I had my, I had my life. And um, again, no, I made that decision. Uh, personal development is the reason why I was able to walk into my head coach at the time's office and say, hey, coach, I, I don't know where I'm going to be coaching next year, but it won't be here. You know, I wasn't fired. I just said, hey, I'm, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm making a decision, coach. I will be a high school coach, a JUCO coach, an NAIA coach, a D3 coach. I don't care, but I will not be here. I'm going to be a head coach somewhere because I know it's time. Again, because I had written it down two years prior. Um, saw the job opened up at Tusculum College, which was about an hour and a half from Asheville where I lived. I'm like, man, I hope this, I heard the coach was interviewing for other division one jobs. So the coach at the time had been successful. I'm like, oh man, if she leave, that'll be good. I just emailed the AD. She left, the job came open. I emailed the AD. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you face to face about your vacant head women's basketball job. He said, the job pays 50,000. That's all he wrote back. The job pays 50,000. Are you still interested? Yes, sir. I'm still interested. I will see you Tuesday at 12 o'clock drove over there, was ready, had already made my mind up. <laughs> I was ready. And um, again, got the job three days later. I'm the head women's basketball coach at Tusculum College. And from there, I inherit, God opens that door, I inherit one of the best teams in program history. You know, none of those, I recruited one kid on that team. I inherited the school's all-time leading scorer. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was a layup. <laughs> it was a layup because, again, I was in that valley and, and something I've learned about me and we, we all know ourselves, whether we admit it or not. When my back against the wall, I, there's something in me that know I don't got a mom and daddy to call. I, I, I do not have people I can call to get me out of stuff. And so before I mess up too much, I, I got to... I gotta start utilizing these skills I got. I gotta summon the powers, my supernatural powers. Why not me driving down this one-way street? Why not me? Glad nobody got hurt, but you know, I'm like, why me? Why, why not you? Wake up something new inside of you. So yeah, that, that's what personal development does. I mean, it, it takes you from why me to why not me. 
that's a powerful and awe-inspiring testimony right there. So definitely appreciate you sharing that. Um, man, with that being said, I just got to ask this question because, again, I am very curious. But how did your faith play a part in all the things that you've had to endure throughout your life, the, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows? Um, I, I really want to know uh, – what did God play a part in your life and all this? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, huge part. You know, one thing I had, and I talk about my mother a lot here in this conversation, but um, I just appreciate so much, many things about her now that I couldn't see. I was just, I couldn't see them. And, and now sometimes when people pass away, all you do is see their good. You almost forget that they ever did anything bad you just you, you can't even you can't even accept that they did anything bad you just can identify what the things they did good and one of the things my mother did was uh she raised she raised us in the church and um one thing she introduced me to was jesus wednesday night sunday revival youth choir um we were just we knew what the spirit of god was early I, and, and you know i'm again i'm a I'm an inspirational person. Like I inspire people. That's what the word does. It's, it's, it inspires people. Part of my faith um, in knowing that there's just something greater. Like whatever this thing I feel in my heart and my mind about my abilities, I know that's real. And I define that as God. You know, if I'm a child of God, then, then I have to be him. And so um, that, that gives me, you know, when I can't see it for myself, I use his vision. God, you must see something. You know, you planted this seed in me to, 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 to take this step and then this step and then this step and then this step. You, you know, these steps are all, you know, they're all ordained by, by something greater. I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I couldn't have drank this life. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm adopted child, sexual abuse, um, like 70 foster kids living in and out of my home black <laughs> like you know like there's so many there's so many excuses or reasons i had to throw in the towel and i'm not gonna lie i have wanted to throw in the towel <laughs> i wanted to give up a lot college i wanted to give up it, professionally my grandma pat i wanted to give up i mean if it was up to me it probably wouldn't be <laughs> But um, so my faith plays a huge role. I know there's something greater working and living within me and, and, and I'm okay. Again, when I talk about summoning those powers, you know, I, I, I summon those supernatural powers because that, that's who it is. It, it's, not, it's not me, it's those things that I've been put here to do. And again, I don't want any more than God wants me to have. I want all he wants me to have, nothing more, nothing less. Every dime he wants for me, I'm going to get it, God. I'm trusting you, whatever ideas you give me, whatever you tell me to pursue, whatever you tell me to leave alone, walk away from, change the way you treat these people, focus on this, change your language over here, eat this, you know, hey, <laughs> well, that's, if you, if you get with yourself enough, you'll hear, you'll hear the messaging. So yeah, faith plays a huge role. Hope I answered your question. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Um, Adele, what do you embrace about being a black woman when you, in your career, when you walk around, when you do what you do, what, what do you embrace? I know you've been in different 
when you went to go speak, when you um, went to interview, you, you've been in a lot of environments. So when you walk into that room, what do you embrace about yourself? You know what? I, I mean, first and foremost, I embrace the God in me, right? I'm, I'm, I have at least, I mean, for as long as I can, from the time when I walked into it, I'm just thinking about when I walked into that interview for the Tusculum job, coming off that DUI, my message, anytime I'm presenting myself is, hey, God, remove me and take over. <laughs> remove me and take over. And, and that's got nothing to do with me being a black woman. Um, but that faith I have in the, in the introduction I got to, it came from a black woman. And the respect I have when I study, when I study our, um, our ancestors, and how challenging it was for them. You know, I've been studying adversity for a long time because I just was like, how do people get, how do people <laughs> get up? Like, how do they do it? I wanna know. And, you know, I studied Martin Luther King heavy in my twenties, like, okay, so if this guy, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so this is how he did it, you know? Like, how, how did he become the type of leader? One, he was gifted, he, he, he was chosen to do a job to carry out a task that's very clear one thing he had a dream like i'm like okay so if i always have a dream if i'm always on an assignment that'll keep me focused that'll keep me going in the direction that i'm supposed to be going in and then when things got difficult you know he obviously he was a minister but he called mahalia jackson to sing to him on the phone you know it got tough and he would call her at 2 a.m one of our other black heroes and, and to sing to her and, and the, and our song, just go back to our song, our, our black song, our song is black people. Our gospel is black people. Our uh, anointing is black people. Like there is something great in that. And, and it's raw because, cause it, it's been, it's been damaged and, and, knocked down and beat down and again you talk about black excellence that's what it is when you when you really tap into the energies of our ancestors um Maya Angelou has a quote where she says um you know I walk in as one but I'm I'm standing on the shoulders of 10,000 you know when, when you walk into a room and and again back to you because you just gotta know who you are and I have a sign up right now in my workout room that's just a reminder. Never forget who the fuck you are. Do not forget who you are because things and people and stuff you see will try to convince you that you're not who you are. And I'm just telling you, Nick and Aisha, don't forget who you are. That has been the demise of so many people sit back and stay in a valley and, and, and admire your pain and admire your struggles and kick back and think it's cool to just complain and, and talk about that all day. Like, God got so much for us. And so um, just know who you are. And, and, and I think, you know, to answer that question of how I walk into a room, I know I'm a child of God, so enough said, but, but two, um, Man, there's so many women, there's so many black people who've done so much more than I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to do my little part, you know, and walking into a AD's office or walking in front of people and speaking to them is small compared to, you know, what, what, 
what other people have done to, to advance and, and impact lives. Man, when you talk about you are the nation's top adversity, <laughs> you are literally listen I, adversity into your advantage. Wow. I, I wouldn't say it if I hadn't been tested. One, I wouldn't say it if God didn't give me the seed and the idea to, to, to share that part. It, there's, there's, um, you know, you can be an expert at something, but you got to have some experiences. And I've had some in the valley experiences. <laughs> I've had some experience and I've had some experience that have turned into advantages. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm so glad I didn't throw in the towel. <laughs> Adele, we, we really appreciate you for, I mean, listen, this is, this is why we did this podcast to, to be able to have the opportunity to hear these stories and these testimonies. Um, and these beautiful people like yourself that that are that are not afraid to tell people who you are and where you come from, right? Because again, at the end of the day, it's not about money and status to us that deems black excellence. It's about exactly what you're preaching and it's overcoming an adversity and showing people that, hey man, we can do something, we can be more. Um, and so as we wrap up, again, this this is the Black Excellence Podcast and we you know, we look at you and deem you as a true epitome of, of black excellence. And so we sit you atop of the throne with the crown. Um, and, and when that time come, now I'm telling you, you're going to be doing, you're going to be up there for a while. We know that. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but when that time come and, and it's time to hop down, um, we really are very curious to know uh, when it's time to take that crown off and pass it to the next individual, you know, what's that one message um, you want to write in there for that individual? That black individual, by the way. <laughs> You're talking about passing the baton? I am 40 years old. I'm going to be doing this till I'm 90, Nick. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Hey, but it's going to be what? another. You know what? I'm, I'm interested in people running with me. Um, <clears throat> and, and what I'd like to do with my journey, with my race, uh, is try to impact as many lives as possible. Number of lives impacted is all that matters the end that that's it and and um that should be the mission for you know every coach every part like impact the life impact the life um however you can um impact the life we we're only existing we only have our talents and gifts to make life better or add value to someone else's journey and so um i just want to do that and, and be pleasing to god and um I welcome anybody who wants to run alongside of me or all the people who are out in front, you know, all the people who are out in front who are inspiring me to, to continue to do more and be more. Um, man, I, I don't want to be on a pedestal. You said, I don't want to be on nobody's pedestal, man. Don't, don't look up to me. I got, I'll fall off that thing. <laughs> I'll fall off that thing. I, I just want to be, um, you know, I just want to be in situations where, where I'm, empowered to, to be myself like I am, because I think that's very important that, that black women, that black people are, are empowered to like be themselves and bring their best self to the table and not be restricted and boxed in and that we get access to information. Um, you know, I know I'm being long winded with that, but I think that's important that, that we get the information like how to, you know, don't just do it and, and, you know, not tell the young black people how to do it, young black professionals how to do it. And so, um, so yeah, I just, I, what I would like my legacy to be when it's all said and done is, man, she impacted 
lot of people's lives. She was intentional about trying to impact people's lives. I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories real quick. Guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join or if you got any questions, hit me up.